0: That's why you need to make every conference a super conference. But uh, so that will do it for us here today on the extra points. I am Andrew's side, joined by uh, everyone. I said, thought I said them all earlier, but we might as well repeat them. Rushi, Rob, Stu, Matt, Weston threw in something, and the guy who left the room, I can't think, Kevin. So uh, anyways, uh, for that, I am Andrew once again, and we thank you for listening. You're on WCBN, Ann Arbor, 88.3 FM. Uh, good night and uh,
1: go blue. Yeah. Navarre gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan! And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24, and the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports. 88.3 FM Ann Arbor. WCBN.org.
0: Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds your breath Ann Arbor as the bar gets set.
1: Places down. Kick is up. It's long enough. It's good. It's good. Michigan wins the game. Michigan shocks Washington. And
0: the Wolverines are victorious. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Grey Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley.
1: And I'm Jim Dwyer.
0: And we've got the Mideast Peace Conference sham. Yeah. What a joke. Oh, we'll meet for one day. Day late and a dollar short. But uh, any comments about the shopping hysteria (laughs) post-Thanksgiving?
1: Well, it's been a number of years now since Christmas has become the leading economic indicator uh, in this great land of ours. Kind of a sad thing, um, you know, regardless of the religious implications, but that one holiday should have so much uh, strength or invested in it. uh, It's kind of remarkable. Uh, Lots of articles in the press about people scrimping and saving and buying second-hand goods for Christmas this year. Um, I think it uh, continues to suggest that uh, the economy is in the tank. And this is not just a regional thing. This is nationwide. Um, Oil prices are still in fluctuation. Gas prices have come down a little bit locally Although you have to realize that the gas that you get at the pump uh, hasn't been oil in a barrel for months and months at a time. So uh, gas prices, heating oil costs, all going to be factors in uh, the holiday gift-giving magic.
0: Well, I just can't wait for the story some year in which Tiny Tim (laughs) is killed in a stampede at Walmart. He was in line first god bless (laughs)
1: yeah
0: yeah the the stampede i always love the the scene of the stampede somewhere but i think it's ridiculous that we even have merchants now opening on thanksgiving being open for shopping
1: yeah on thanksgiving day which is one of our best holidays i think it's you know family and food and uh just kind of chilling out uh you know back in the day uh in the 60s and 70s it wasn't really customary to break out the uh christmas decorations or advertisements or whatever until thanksgiving the appearance of santa at the macy's parade was pretty much the uh seasonal kickoff uh for the uh christmas season and now of course the day after halloween in the grocery stores uh, christmas candy uh, took the place of halloween candy and uh you know there's a radio station out of detroit wnic that plays christmas music 24 7 it's a kind of madness, really.
0: Yeah, well, I gave my brother a gag gift last year. It was uh,
1: a crucified Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> a popular item in Japan, I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> they get the holidays mixed up. <clears throat> he died for your commercial sins.
0: Well, I think it's uh, appalling and I wish it would uh, I wish it would be something that the media would drop as a subject of examination and coverage. Because, uh, to me, there's something uh, abhorrent about the whole thing. Well, another ally of George Bush bites the dust. Indeed. Prime Minister of Australia, who's been there for quite some time, I think 11 years. Uh, he's gone. And uh, the new uh, labor leader is, uh, it's a symbolic thing. I, I think I read that Australia actually only has 500 combat troops in Iraq and they're going to leave some support troops as a token gesture of support, but uh, I think it's just one more symbolic uh, notch on the belt. Yeah, smack in the face. Um, let's give a brain damage award out to Lindsey Graham. Um, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but basically he was on the TV talk shows yesterday, and he said that the the surge in Iraq had, had uh, proven to be the greatest um counterinsurgency victory in military history what which i'm like uh okay (laughs) there have been some marginal successes at the you know at
1: the margins but (sighs) i mean in the grand scale of military history the only thing that the current war in Iraq would register as is probably one of the top five debacles of all time. Yeah.
0: It's really
1: uh, no significant uh, accomplishments. It's remarkable oh, that sheesh. they can take a couple of months of, uh, of data and try
0: and extrapolate it into either victory or some success because uh, I think Muqtada al Sadr's uh, proclamation of a ceasefire back in August may have uh, uh, contributed more to the. Reduction in uh, deaths than anything. But when you look at the fundamental um, goals of the surge, quote-unquote, where are the benchmarks? Uh, None of them have been achieved. Uh, There is no reconciliation. Luckily, uh, Michigan Senator Carl Levin countered Graham's arguments by pointing this out. So, oh, and then bye-bye Trent Lott. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, other opportunities uh, apparently await him. Lobbying. I don't know, <laughs> it's
0: know what... quite lucrative, I'm told. I guess he wanted to hang around long enough to, to make sure that Mississippi got a disproportionate amount of the uh, Hurricane Katrina relief from the federal government, and now he can go back to cheerleading. He was a cheerleader like George Bush in college. And, yeah, indeed he was. <laughs> <laughs> Something to keep keep uh, keep remembering and we'll just give him a brain damage award. I don't have his exact quote in front of me, but he of course uh had to resign as majority leader uh, from his, due to his famous uh, Strom Thurmond comment. Uh, yeah, that
1: was Strom's birthday party, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> America good times, good times. Wouldn't wouldn't have all these problems if if everyone if everyone had voted for Strom back in 48. I kind of view it the other way around. Uh, we've had uh, way too many conservatives in charge, and that's indeed why America's got its problems. uh oh, brother.
1: Well, uh, little bits and pieces of weirdness uh, throughout the week. Um, I notice you have Scott McClelland. yes. Why, it's as if the curtains have fallen away from his eyes. Uh, He has seen the light and apparently has a new book. Who doesn't? I don't have a new book with a story to tell about the inside uh, world of the Bush administration. But his book is conveniently called What Happened? Yeah. One can only wonder if it's going to be a sort of a ugly play-by-play. But the uh, basic gist of this uh, article is that Former press secretary says Bush led him to lie. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And you know, I've always wondered about that job. Um, you you have to know going into that job that you're you're expected to conceal, to obscure, to obfuscate, to flub, you know, your way around uh, answers. Because really, the whole purpose of a press secretary is to Alleviate the pressure on the president directly uh, for the implications of his policies.
0: Yeah, to take the heat, basically. Yeah. Meet the you know meet the media head on, and uh, obviously, what's interesting about this book, uh, an upcoming book, uh, the, the publisher basically threw out a do in April. Yeah, threw out a uh, a tidbit to uh, oh, you know. Muddy up the waters a little bit. I think what's what it demonstrates once again, though, is that there clearly was a cover-up in the CIA leak case. And while um, this may not have been the crime of the century, uh, it, it shows that the president himself – and it's interesting. Let's remember that George Bush hired a criminal attorney back then. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that's all about, but uh, one can only guess – Of course, maybe the most famous uh, statement from a press spokesman was back during Watergate when uh, Ron Ziegler had to uh, ruefully announce to the media that all of the previous statements by the president are inoperative. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one. Richard Nixon. And I think he had to, uh, I think he actually resigned himself. Some some press secretaries have actually resigned Mm
1: -hmm. on principle. I seem to recall that the. Well, Bush has had more press secretaries than any other president in yeah, recent had, memory. I think
0: he's had. I think he's on his fourth now. Yeah. Uh, it's this um, Dana Perino character, and she's. I don't know. She looks like Snow White in the.
1: <laughs> A land of enchantment and wonder. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's not the elves that she's dealing with, it's the wolves. And she seems to be uh, inundated with uh, all sorts of problems. But Tony Snow knew how to handle the job. He had the right sense of humor for it. Yeah. But I think there's clearly... What's interesting about the McClellan book is I think once again it seems to point the finger at Karl Rove, Mm -hmm. Dick Cheney, and even the president himself. Oh, the famous line, what didn't the president know and when didn't he know it? (laughs) Well, it's important to remember, too, that, you know,
1: But I'm going to fire anybody involved in the CIA leak case. Back in the 70s, there was a a CIA agent who retired, quit, and wanted to reveal some of the chicanery that that organization had long been up to. Philip Agee was Mm -hmm. his name. No. And he revealed a couple of names who were no longer current operatives, current agents, um, we interviewed Phil, Philip Agee down here in Gray Matters, by yeah, the way. Yeah, some years back. I yeah, remember Way, that. way back when
0: he uh, when he had a public uh, appearance here in Ann Arbor. Yeah.
1: At, Philip Agee was basically run out of the country Yeah, at one point um, for this revelation. And so his was a critique from the left. So notice how really very little has happened when this inside leak uh, and Robert Novak, you know, the guy who actually said it out loud in the public media. Nothing. Sure. Nothing. Not even accused, charged, etc. Uh, whereas uh, a critic from the left is run out of the country. And there's even some
0: debate, by the way, as to whether AG's revelations even contributed at all to the uh, demise of the, uh, I believe it was the Athens, Greece, CIA mm. station chief. Um, you know, there's. There's a debate about the actual chronology there, but it's interesting how uh, George Bush's father, of course, was outraged. Indeed. Well, the outrage seems to be (laughs) (coughs) one-sided. And
1: largely forgotten. Bing! It's a pardon.
0: Yeah, and that's what's also interesting about it. It's sort of like the Iran-Contra affair, the actual people involved in the in the criminality and the, and of course, you know, Weinberger was convicted of perjury based on testimony that he gave that conflicted with what was in his diary. Um, but he was pardoned by George Bush, as were other participants in the Iran-Contra affair. So yes, George Bush circumvented justice here by pardoning Actually, he didn't technically pardon Scooter Liddy. he
1: commuted the sentence. Right. Um, and uh, pardons are usually reserved for that sort of last eleven hours in office.
0: Yeah, well, I'm so sure there's not much political fallout. Bush will pardon himself, uh, Cheney, and Condy Rice at uh, precisely eleven fifty nine of January twentieth, two thousand and nine, for crimes that uh, we may have committed. <laughs>
1: We're not sure. To invoke Gerald Ford once again. Right. Uh, Talk about a man who paid a price for a pardon. Yeah. In fact, I remember uh, just being a kid at the time and seeing billboards all over town in Jackson, Michigan, and they were probably all over the country, too. Uh, Pardon, your slip is showing. So uh, that's a little bit of a cultural history there. Uh Well, there's an interesting uh, matter of the uh, gun case that's going to be coming before the Supreme Court early next year. Now, this is a story now because it's the first time that the Supreme Court has had a, a Second Amendment case in about 70 years. And so it will be interesting to see how this all pans out. The uh, suit in question involves a uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, security personnel who wanted to be able to keep his gun at home for self-defense. Well, Washington, D.C., the sort of nebulous gray zone territory, not a state, not really anything. It's just a sort of a legal vacuum in a way. Having lived there for a couple of years, it very much has that feeling to it. But uh, they do have a law on the books, uh prohibiting handguns Mm -hmm. and for good reason there uh were a couple of years there where it was the murder capital of the world a lot of crime a lot of poverty and uh, some pretty difficult living conditions there in about two-thirds of what's called the district of columbia uh the well-to-do northwest district of course is pretty well ensconced in uh, comfort and convenience um This article uh, in last week's uh, New York Times by Linda Greenhouse concludes with an interesting paragraph, though. Uh, She writes, Because none of the justices now on the court have ever confronted a Second Amendment case, any prediction about how the court will rule is little more than pure speculation. And while that may be largely true, I think one thing, at least, will be safely predictable, that Clarence Thomas will vote as Justice Scalia votes. (laughs) I don't think he's ever voted astray from uh, Antonin Don't Call Me the Godfather Scalia. Yeah, and unfortunately,
0: this case is going to come down to how Kennedy votes, because I'm sure that the um, the four real conservatives on the court, the quote-unquote conservatives, <laughs> right, the judges that don't participate in judicial activism, we're going to hear that phrase a lot over the next... Uh, Many months during the campaign trail, that'll be part of the religion uh, peddled by the uh, Republican nominee, regardless of who he may be, because I seem to remember there aren't any women running in the presidential, (laughs) although Dana Perino may be available before we realize it. And Giuliani may
1: have a surprise up his sleeve. Well, he may have to... In his knickers. (laughs) (laughs) Run and drag. Right. (laughs) To out Hillary Hillary. Out
0: Hillary. I can out... Well, we won't go into the history of George Wallace uh, on this day that Trent Lott has announced his president. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, well, the gun cases, uh, you know, I've always viewed the, uh, the Second Amendment as sort of obsolete. Um, I am one of those people that firmly believes back in the day when the Second Amendment was written you know you could basically get off one shot in a, every night right 90 seconds cuz you had to kind of load your own gunpowder and tap it down and Pour guns it. were very yeah. unreliable back then by the way there's been some very interesting forensic historical analysis of how um, sparse guns actually were back hmm. then um yeah people out on the frontier had them but uh how often they were used or uh, used to defend one's uh,
1: property is a matter of debate. I think it's become a mythology more than anything. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably a mythology that's been heavily enhanced by cinema, you know, one of our great art forms. But think of all the movies, especially those Western films, where the guns are ablazing. And I think more often than not, in, in the reality of the situation in the Old West, just the mere presence of a gun was enough to kind of, established the, the tenor of of a relationship or a situation uh probably there were a heck of a lot bullets uh fewer bullets fired than we see in the films
0: yeah and and there's also the urban cop films um popularized by clint eastwood himself yeah <laughs> he went from the ooey ooey, ooey spaghetti western <laughs> sharpshooter to the uh you know, Dirty Harry. Yeah, the big magnum gun, the magnum, 3- three big f- holes. <laughs> Definitely mythologized, but uh, guns are problematic in our culture, and of course, it, um, Washington is the uh, murder capital of the world. Uh, in another <laughs> very, very interesting way, yeah. I saw a uh, a w- global analysis of deaths uh, from small arms globally, and Washington. The United States leads the way in selling these types of weapons.
1: Well, there were a couple of other gun-related items this week that I'll briefly go into here. Um, This one is bizarre and disturbing, being uh, in a college town as we are here in Ann Arbor. This from the November 21st edition of the Ann Arbor News. Students push for right to carry guns on campus. Being uh, fronted here by a Texas State University economics major. A guy named Mike Gutzman, he's one of 8,000 students nationwide, fortunately that's not very many, who have joined the nonpartisan Students for Concealed Carry on campus. And the argument that he makes is that we don't have the right of self-defense on campus because we're not allowed to carry our concealed weapons, which we are otherwise licensed to carry. Um, You can carry them into a public park or into a theater. Why not onto a college campus? Well... The idea that the greater number of guns will lead to greater security is entirely nebulous. I think there's very little evidence to suggest that's the case. Yes, the shooter in uh, Virginia uh, took out an amazing number of people, but there were some communications problems there with security and police response and so forth. Um, Given the degrees of uh, drinking on campus and you know, angry, romantic uh, situations, mm-hmm. you'd see a lot more suicides, a lot more murder, suicides, and even random snipings well, if on you just, campuses if yeah, there if, were more guns.
0: If you just catalog bar fights, yep. um, I mean, <laughs> I'm a cab driver. I see the aftermath of this uh, sort of nonsense all the time. So, yeah, I think that guns combined with the alcohol environment that's uh, prevalent on most American campuses... I'm not too sure where this guy matriculates, but... uh, Well, he's a former Marine who is studying economics now at Texas U. Wonderful. (laughs) Another supply cider has been created. Indeed, he'll probably get right into the arms uh, business.
1: Well, here's yet another gun-related article that I think puts the icing on the cake. Shooter claims cow looked like coyote. (laughs) A man says he shot a neighbor's cow after mistaking it for a coyote. Authorities and the owner are skeptical. Uh, they don't see how anyone could confuse a fourteen hundred pound pregnant cow with a coyote, which typically weighs between twenty and forty five pounds. So there you go. Guns do <laughs> have results; they're just not very good results. Well, wily coyote <laughs> moo does not look like a cow. Not even close. So who knows, uh, is alcohol a factor in this one or just plain stupidity? It's hard to tell.
0: Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. What state was that from, by the way? (laughs) I'm just kind of curious. uh, Is this a frontier story or is this uh, one of urban legend? this is a
1: Midwest story. This is uh, Colfax Township. It's right here in Michigan.
0: Oh, Wow, Michigan's Benzie County. Didn't know we had coy- coyotes roaming around. Oh yeah, yeah, they're. Uh... I see foxes all the time now.
1: Coyotes it's, are making a comeback. Very uh, interesting. Outside of the urban centers,
0: I'm sure that coy- coyotes are doing something out west. But uh, well, so it goes. Well, Jim is uh, is off to uh, go uh, get the beginnings of Full Metal Jacket playing tonight here at the Michigan Theater. I'll be uh, over there later. And yet, one more Stanley Kubrick uh, classic. Very underrated movie about Vietnam, by the way. And I guess, in the spirit of, of Stanley Kubrick, we're going to hear a lot over the next uh, several m- m- months, really, be, uh, over the subprime um, business and how it's affecting the economy. We've already seen a very interesting correction, by the way, in the stock market. This is a classic. 10% correction, and the technical analysts are out there on the shows talking about, well, you know, it might be time to buy, you know, the bottom is, is, is reaching where it did, you know, nine months ago or whatever, and this is a, a sign that we're, we're due for a rally. I have my doubts, but uh, one of the interesting things, I've been excavating many uh, of the subprime articles uh, that the uh, New York Times has had over these many many months. I found one that was very interesting um, from several months ago, uh, dated March 23rd, by Linley Browning. And what I found interesting about this article, and I'll just read the headline. It says the subprime loan machine, subtitled "Automated underwriting software helped fuel a mortgage boom." So I mentioned this in connection to, uh, with uh, Stanley Kubrick in the old 2001 movie where the uh, homicidal computer takes over the mission, but this is a fascinating article about how the subprime loan machine really escalated in recent years. I just wanted to read uh, some interesting stuff about this. She goes into detail about an engineer named Edward Jones, a former NASA engineer for the Apollo and Skylab missions, and uh, he came up with software uh, at a company based in Austin, Texas. We won't go into the corporations here, only to say that uh, in 1999, um, the company that he founded, had his first big customer, First Franklin Financial, which uh, was one of the biggest lenders to home buyers with weak to subprime credit. Lindley Browning writes, The old way of processing mortgages involved a loan officer or a broker collecting reams of income statements and ordering credit histories, typically over several weeks. But by retrieving real-time credit reports online and then using algorithms to gauge the risks of default, Mr. Jones' software allowed subprime lenders like First Franklin to grow at warp speed. By 2005, at the height of the housing boom, First Franklin had increased the number of subprime loan applications it processed sevenfold to 50,000 every month. Since 1999, Mr. Jones's software has been used to produce $450 billion in subprime loans. And I mention this number uh, because it is astonishing. Uh, there's a big debate out there about what the actual number of bad loans out there really are. Uh, we've seen some major financial uh, New York banks, you know, the, the multinational Global banks as well as uh, brokers are writing off subprime loans on their balance sheets. Uh, just in this last quarter, uh, you know, the top five or six wrote off over $20 billion. We also had a big story in today's uh, international news that um, Richard Branson is taking over a, uh, a bank in England, that had a classic Depression-style bank run uh, several months ago involving um, possibly as much as $50 billion, and that the Bank of England and good old Queen Elizabeth (laughs) had to uh, bail it out with some bridge capital, as they say. So this is a fascinating story about automated um, credit um, created by... A computer program that's, you know, giving out and approving loans at warp speed, so to speak, with a staggering number. Several weeks ago, uh, Ben Bernanke was making some speech, uh, you know, to some sort of Washington, uh, you know, hoity-toity organization, group, whatever, about the uh, issue of the subprime mess. And he was, and I'm going to paraphrase him here, said something to the effect of, well, nobody knows what the hell the number really is. Um, And we've heard various uh, numbers thrown around, but the number that I've heard uh, from fairly uh, reliable people that are somewhat critical of the upcoming prospects for the American economy claim that it could be as much as a trillion dollars of questionable loans that are going to have to be written off, and that this uh, readjustment of the subprime, uh, the uh, adjusted mortgage rates, are due to increase uh, even more defaults in upcoming quarters. Many of these adjustable rate mortgages, of course, were given out over the past Several years, three or four years, I would in fact argue that Alan Greenspan helped George Bush get reelected by keeping uh, capital money very easy, particularly in the year 2004. If you will recall, back in 2004, one of the interesting themes of the campaign was that at the time George Bush was destined uh, to become the first president since uh, Herbert Hoover in which the actual number of jobs in the United States had contracted uh, during a presidential term. Fortunately for him, uh, easy money continued in, in well into 2004, and there was a sort of artificial boom created in the housing industry, which uh, kept the jobs picture a little more rosy than it otherwise might not have been. But it's very interesting. Um, one critic uh, pointed out that the problem with this uh, um, system is that it puts the the you know the analysis of the uh, income into a kind of nether world of computer la la land, and not in the real world of actual actually verifying the facts. Uh, one critic said automated underwriting put the credit sc- score on such a pedestal that it obscured other important things like the income actually there said uh, professor uh, ret- uh, retinus of Harvard quote before there was automated underwriting down payment mattered a lot where we where we've crossed the line in recent years is, what we say to uh, the, the homeowner is, we don't need a down payment. Michael Perna of ARC Systems Marketing said that the income, quote, is supposed to be verified by a person.